Well, welcome to episode five of Let's Ask an Expert, a show where a novice host asks expert guests above average questions. I am your host, Andrew Smith, and thank you for listening wherever you may be. If you'd like to connect with the show on social media, you may do so on Facebook by searching Let's Ask an Expert, on Instagram at, at Let's Ask an Expert, and on Twitter with the username at Ask an Expert Show. If you've missed any episodes of Let's Ask an Expert, don't worry. You can catch up with the show by downloading any and all the past episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever expert podcasts can be found. Uh, before we continue on this episode, you know, I'd like to remind anyone listening that most of the subject matter that my guest and I will be discussing is intended for a mature audience. We'll be talking about a mass shooting later in the show that occurred on August 4, 2019, and left nine people dead and nearly 30 others injured. Though the tone and demeanor of this podcast has largely been lighthearted and comedic so far, there is nothing funny about an event where people are senselessly killed and injured. Please know that my intention of having my guest on this show is in no way an attempt to profit off of or capitalize on in any way from a tragedy. Instead, I hope that you find my interview with my guest as an illuminating look into his life, career, and heroics. And with that said, let's bring on our guest for this episode. He is an expert bouncer and lifesaver who bravely stood guard at the doors of Ned Pepper's Bar in the historic Oregon District in Dayton, Ohio on the night, or morning I should say, of August 4th, 2019 stopping the lone gunman from entering the establishment and allowing the Dayton police to eliminate the active shooter, thereby preventing further loss of life in the process. When he's not manning the door of Ned Pepper's bar on the weekends, he competes locally in the independent wrestling circuit in and around Dayton, Ohio. Please welcome my guest at this time for Let's Ask an Expert, Jeremy Ganger. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Tell our audience um, where you are from originally and where you currently live. I am from Troy, Ohio. I still live in Troy, but I look at Dayton, Ohio as my community. I'm in Dayton quite a bit working. Uh, I look at it, like I said before, it's, I love Dayton. It's a strong community. It's something that I'm proud to be part of. And Troy is, um, what would you say, maybe like, what, 20, 30 minutes north of, of Dayton? That is correct. It's about 20, 30 minutes away from Dayton. It's just a small little town. And, uh, you know, normally I ask all my experts uh, on the show to have a drink with me, but I'm choosing to discontinue that tradition just for this episode, uh, just because I don't want anyone to think that, that, you know, what we're talking about today is a joyous sort of celebratory topic. It's not, you know, most of what we'll be discussing is very serious. And as I said already, it's important for let me for me to let anyone listening to this know the subject matter and the importance of it is not lost on me. So, you know, this is not an ordinary show. It's important for me to approach it in a respectful way. And I intend to do so. Um, let's, let's start here, Jeremy, other than the ability to be able to hang out at bars and clubs, what initially attracted you to be, to becoming a bouncer? I like the idea of the, the social aspect. I love communicating with people, interacting with people, getting to know people. When you get out, talk to people. I mean, you can make anyone's day just by saying, hey, how are you doing? How's your day going? And just the idea of putting a smile on someone's face, coming in to have a good time. That's one of the biggest reasons why I like it. It's the social aspect of it. It's a good time. Uh, some people, when they think of bouncers or doormen, you know, they think of like those 
stereotypical knockdown drag out fights from like 80s movies like roadhouse stuff like that where it's like an every night wrestling match and you know it's like a 40-man battle royal beer beers flying around everywhere and pool cues being broken over people's back that kind of stuff how close is any of that any of that stuff even on like any scale to like what you see on most weekends at the establishments that you've worked at it's not like that at all i mean when people come up to the door, I always try to greet them, show them the proper respect. And every time people smile, we might have a quick conversation about how their day is going or something like that. But most nights, no one's going to give you any trouble. They just want to come in, have a drink or two, have a good time with their friends. So everyone's there just to have a good time. Um, You know, compared to obviously what happened last August on a normal weekend night at Ned Peppers or other places you've, you've worked, how, how out of control have you seen things get? Like, I've seen a few fights here and there. I mean, we, that's always going to happen at, at bars when people are drinking. I've seen a couple fights, a couple big fights, but as far as anything dramatic you would see on TV where people are throwing cue balls and, you know, pulling out knives and having switchblades on them, stuff like that. That's something you don't see. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing, right? Yeah, it's a um, very good thing. The good thing for you, good thing for everybody else. Um, you're you're a thickly built, strong, strong guy, right? You worked out. You still do, obviously, and because you wrestled in high school, you play football. Um, that's in diffusing some of these situations that can that can get out of get a hand at bars and you know i've seen a number of them myself at other places i've been to um all that can then obviously help um but when you first got into bouncing and being a doorman did you ever take up any like self-defense martial arts like weapon training anything like that nope none of that at all the biggest weapon you can use when it comes to being a bouncer honestly is your voice is how you project yourself, carry yourself, and how you talk to people and treat people. What's like the protocol for you and uh, and anyone at Ned Peppers if like a, a fight breaks out? Do you guys well, have first, like a plan in place? Yes, we have a plan in place. We, but we always try to break it up by just talking to people. Now, if they're in a physical with each other, we'll pull them apart, get them outside. We'll talk to them outside, calm them down before we let them walk away. Usually it's something like that. This takes about a minute to two minutes. It's usually pretty diffused quickly. What kind of personality traits would you say or characteristics make for an excellent bouncer or doorman? Somebody who's understanding. Somebody who also is outgoing with other people. Who's willing to socialize with people. And also show, show them respect and have a lot of patience. you got to have patience in this line of work only for the simple fact people are coming in they've been drinking or they drink way too much and you have to remember they don't know what they're saying to you what they're doing after alcohol has been in them is is it hard to have patience do you think in your line of work for me i don't think it is i mean when you first start out in the business it is because i mean you're looking at a grown grown adult the way they're talking to you like they would talk to a, a kid and they're being rude very disrespectful I remember, hey, how would I want to be treated? You gotta treat people the same way that you want to be treated. If you show them the respect, treat them politely, 
it all goes really, really easy. Okay, so as I mentioned, you, you're you're a wrestler, right? you're a sports entertainer. Um, you know, in a January 2020 article uh, that was written by longtime Dayton Daily News columnist uh, Tom Archdeacon, he said that you began wrestling at the age of 25 with dynamic professional professional wrestling in Piqua, Ohio. Um, where on your life timeline does the wrestling and bouncing coincide? What, which came first and what did any of those like lead to something Did lead to like the other thing, or was it just kind of two things that you picked up almost simultaneously? Well, I was bouncing before I got into wrestling, but I have a lot of friends that are involved in the wrestling world. And a few of them talked to me and coming in, getting trained where they were work wrestling at which was uh, Dave Chris, Jake Chris, Sammy Callahan, all those guys. I, you know, I've known them for years. They talked to me and coming in, roll around with those guys for a while. So I did that. Then those guys all went to HWA Wrestling, and I was still there in Pickwell Wrestling, and they contacted me, wanted me to come meet Cody Hawk. And I was still bouncing at the time, so I just bounced on you know, I bounced throughout the week, the weekends. So Cody Hawk started retraining me at his school, HWA. And I would go up during the day because I worked at nights. And I trained with him for about a year before I got into matches alone without tag teams, stuff like that. So it went pretty good. I mean, the bouncing aspect of it was I was was constantly working out for the bouncing job and for myself to help relieve stress. But it turned out to help me a lot in the wrestling world because I was a thicker guy and I could take bigger bumps and not have as much pain as others. Your ring name is Pitbull. Um, yes. who, gave you, who gave you that nickname and what, what what's the story behind that, if there is one? Uh, the nickname was given to me by everybody who I wrestle with because they see me at work and they see me in the ring. Their theory about me is I'm one of those guys you can push in the corner, you can knock me down, hit me, whatever, but I'm always willing to get back up and fight. I'm always willing to come at you and keep going no matter if I'm hurt, if I'm upset, or if I feel like I know I shouldn't go on, I still continue. You back me in a corner, I come out. In Tom's story, he talked about you specializing in hardcore matches where there's like, you know, there's a lot of a blood that's usually lost. There's weapons up to and including fluorescent light bulbs, staple guns, barbed wire, chairs, tables set on fire, uh, that sort of stuff. On a scale of one to Mick Foley, how ring crazy, quote unquote, would you say you are? Because it's not just anyone who participates in those kinds of matches. Well, when it comes to those type of matches, believe it or not, I've done, I've done a almost everything I've ever wanted to do with it. There's stuff I still haven't done, but I'm pretty crazy with them. I mean, I will do whatever it takes to entertain the crowd and also whatever I can do to keep pushing myself past my levels. So I've done, I've dared myself to jump off balconies, go through burning tables with thumbtacks, light tubes. I've done a lot of crazy stuff and it's pretty crazy stuff I've done. Does it, does it hurt? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, a light tube's, they hurt. The bob wire hurts. Um, the one time we took a we took a saw and a guy got cut by the saw and that hurt. I took in a a DDT with 
a bunch of thumbtacks from the thumbtacks actually got stuck on my face and on my head. But oh, two of those thumbtacks actually punctured my eyeball. So, yeah, they they hurt. But they, yeah. it's, it's a great time. <laughs> it's a really crazy time. But it's what the fans love. I love doing that because I loved ECW back in the day. And yeah. stuff like this you don't see as much anymore where you see guys that are willing to go out and do death matches and put their bodies on the line just to entertain fans. And hearing the reaction from those fans as we're doing those matches means the world to all of us. Cause you're telling kind of a story right through your, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, we're telling us the same story you would watch in a, a, a match, but we are taking it to a, a bigger height than people have ever seen before. Cause I mean, you know, I mean, I'm a wrestling fan for, those listening in this episode or uh, that don't not know. I, I mean, one of my childhood memories was going to the 1992 Royal Rumble in Albany, New York, where I grew up. And so I've been following for a long time and I, I know about the CZW, the ECW types of matches you're, you're talking about. Um, and they're just, man, they, they are, they, they, they make the audience kind of cringe almost. If you, if you haven't seen them, it's like, Oh God. Like, you know, back in the day when you go to like Best Buy, I think it's stuff like that. They'd have like a, I think I'm like wrapped in like a, a parental advisory kind of film over it. Like, you know, some of these other DVDs are, are kind of, kind of aggressive. This one in particular is crazy as shit. So just so you know that before you take it up to the register, I remember that stuff, man. It's, it's, it's uh, yeah, I mean, the light two matches are my, some of my favorite things to do with those is I love doing those type of matches. I mean, my favorite matches I've done with Light 2 has been with Matt Tremont. He's taught me a lot in that aspect with him. He's a really good guy. I've done a lot of crazy matches with him. Did you ever take a bump or get cut or something where you kind of at all like went, I don't know if I should keep doing this? Um, the time I had a, a a friend of mine, he goes by Mikhail, it's Ben Parker, good friend of mine, and when he took uh skiers and shoved it in my head it's over a hundred of them he put them in my head and usually you see guys put the skiers in their head and they come out quickly well, i kept mine in and took a couple moves with it in my head Jeez. just to push that envelope a little bit more yeah <laughs> man you know what like what's interesting about this is like so i read you know like i knew this about you before the show but hearing you describe it and everything, you're a good looking dude in the pictures I've seen, right? Like you think your, your head and face would just be like a, like, okay. So there's, um, there, there's, there's wrestlers, uh, I'm trying to think like Abdul the butcher, right? Like his, uh, his forehead and stuff. It's just yeah, like it's these all, scars. It's just, yep. I mean, you can tell with you, like I would not, I passed you on the street, like, I wouldn't go, yeah, that dude's been in, like, you know, a handful of light tube matches before I could probably tell, right? Those things cut deep, literally. Yeah, they, they cut real deep. I mean, the one night in, in Dayton, Ohio, me, me, myself, and Matt Tremont did a match using the light tubes. I got so many scars on my back. The glass was still coming out of my back months after that. It's, it's pretty brutal. I mean, I healed up pretty quickly, I guess. I healed up nice. Did, did anything like, has anything medically happened to you? Like as a result? Cause I mean, you risk, you know, with blood and open wounds and stuff like that. No, I've never had contracted anything awful in my blood from anybody. I've been injured a couple of times in a wrestling ring. I've had my, my bicep rupt, rupture on me. I've 
been knocked out quite a few times. I've sustained quite a few concussions over the years. I think the biggest one I ever had, really, honestly, is just my bicep. I've been split open many Ooh. times when I didn't know I was, it was going to be split open, but no, I've peeled up quickly and I've got a lot of scars over the years to prove it. Man, that's intense. That's, that's, that's the real shit right there. Um, did, did being a wrestler make you a better bouncer? How did, or did it, you know, like, is there any way like uh, those things improve one another? Honestly, being a, doing a hardcore wrestling, I think helped me knowing that when I'm going into to do to, to my job as a bouncer when we, we deal with big crowds and people getting rowdy. The hardcore matches helped a lot because I've always told myself, if I can do that stuff, I can come in and deal with people any day of the week, no matter what they throw at me. Mm-hmm. So I think being a hardcore wrestler helped out a lot where it took away, gave me more self-confidence for myself. Yeah. Cause it's, I mean, if nothing else, it's uh it takes balls to perform in front of an audience, no matter yeah, what size, I mean, right? You're taking a lot of, a lot of bumps and we're hitting each other a lot harder than you normally would think. And we're just going off a drill. The whole time. By the time we get done, get to the back and we talk about the match, then the pain kicks in. And in those like, um, those independent circuits, those smaller shows, you can hear everything. Like you can, I mean, it's really that like intimate setting. Yes. You know, like, cause compared, so like, you know, at, at Monday night raw, they may, let's say they had like 15,000 in there. There's always kind of that like murmur in the crowd, that kind of just constant background crowd noise. And then they'll pop for a big spot or something like that. But when you have what, like, I don't know, hundred, 200 people or so. Yeah, I, mean, we, I mean, we got smaller, smaller crowds. I mean, when we're doing a hardcore match, a lot of us, we like to take it into the crowd so they can literally see us. I mean, we're taking our fists and we're not opening them. We're hitting each other in the foreheads. We want the crowd to know that, see, hey, this is what we do to please you. Get you on yeah. your feet. Get you to enjoy it. I remember the one night I wrestled Larry D in Dayton, Ohio. And that dude, he hit me with a chair and I thought, hey, I thought he broke my back. Man. And you He's still and you man. still do that to this day, right? You still wrestle? Yeah. I mean, I, when all this is over, when this you know, corona thing's done... I was supposed to wrestle a couple matches back in May and a couple of days everything's been put on hold until it's been lifted. Yeah, I still do it. Any chance I get the opportunity to go wrestle, I go do it. Man, that's I mean, that's big big props to you right there. Um, you know, I, I, I don't profess to know you personally, right? Like I reached out to you on Facebook for this uh, request to do this show. I know your story and all your heroics and some of your interests in your background, but you know, uh, given everything we've talked about up to this point, you know, I think it'd be fair to say our audience might assume you're this like kind of rough and rugged alpha male, but that's not really what I've seen. Like in person, I, I saw you at the, the Dayton funny bone when Mick Foley was there in November. Oh, yeah. That was a great time, you know? And I've seen you obviously it's a little different when we're doing like a show like this, maybe in the, and you're being re- interviewed by the press and stuff like that. But how would you describe your, your, your overall just personality? Like who is, who is Jeremy Ganger? What's I'm his personality actually, like overall? I'm actually a real laid back guy and it's not an act when I tell everybody that I actually, I actually care for people. I love people to death. I mean, 
I don't like seeing people being mistreated. I don't like seeing somebody down the dumps being depressed. I'm that guy that would reach out to anyone, a total stranger, someone I've known for years. I always try to be that guy to be there for anyone and everyone. I'm literally that guy that would give you my last dollar if I have to, just to make mm-hmm. your day. I'm a That's very cool. late, very laid back guy. I've gotten quite a few different nicknames because of it. I mean, I've been called Big Teddy Bear and been called Jer Bear. And I mean, I really am just a laid back, laid back guy that will do anything for anybody. Except on Saturday nights when you're pit bull. And I mean, <laughs> like, that, that's kind of an interesting dynamic right there, right? Like, you know, it's like you're, you're that. And I'm sure there's other wrestlers. I don't, I don't know the business and I don't know guys. I don't know the boys in the back as they say, but like, I'm sure it's there. Is, are there other wrestlers you met that are kind of like that too, where they, they're, yeah, a lot, they're much a lot different of guys, than they are in the ring? Oh, almost every single one of them. I mean, you see these, I mean, we come out, we perform and we're being a character, but in real life, a lot of us, we're just normal people. We're real laid back and we're outgoing. Every person I know, I mean, we, they put on this big, huge bad guy act, but you put a, a child in front of them, want to come up and give them a hug or sign an autograph. They break down, do it in a heartbeat. That's awesome. That's, That's cool. how all, all these big, tough guys you see in the ring, we're all, we're all got a huge heart, especially when it comes to kids that we want to entertain them, show them, hey, a role model for you. Just, we don't want to push anybody away from the fans. Anybody. Yeah. My biggest thing is seeing the kids' kids' face smile. Yeah. So, I've jumped a rail before when I was in the middle of a match, and this kid was in a wheelchair, you know, yeah, disability issues. I jumped up the rail, went over to him, took a picture with him right in the middle of a match. I didn't care. <laughs> I was the bad guy that day. But not in that moment. Not that moment, no. You see kids like that come out and given the chance to make any kid or even adult smile seeing us perform. You get these adults that really get into it. And when we're doing our crazy stunts, you get them, they'll start chanting, you know, holy shit. And just to get that chant from, the crowds that come and ex- they know what's going to happen. But when you get that chant from them, that's a big sign of respect. Mm-hmm. So it's always a goal to get that chant going. That's a, just like the ultimate honor. Really. Yeah. And, and those matches at ultimate honor, get the crowd chant, holy shit, calling you a sick fuck and everything. It's, <laughs> it's, it gives you, gives me goosebumps just to thinking about it. When I get the crowd standing on their feet, chanting like that, it's just, it's unbelievable. Man, I gotta make it down to these shows. They're, Once this all clears up, I gotta get down there. Big wrestling fan. Um, uh, one more thing, but just before we go on, like how you're talking right now is good. When you were talking like a few minutes ago, you you faded out again. So I don't know if it's one of these things where if probably because I moved around a little bit. Yeah, if you if you can try and remain still as much as possible, um, like you're sounding great right now. Yeah, I, just, just, I, I, I got into the conversation, and that's my no, fault. No, it's okay. I can, like I said, I can amplify it. Um, I don't want to re-record. I don't want to re-record because it's going to sound like it. It's just going to sound like work, you know. It's just like it's going to sound planned and everything. Kind of like you, you were like describing it really great in the moment. So we can people will forgive what I've read about like podcasts. They forgive like audio quality if the content's good. I think the content's great. So. It's not like it was, you couldn't understand it. We just need to like bump it up a little bit. So it's good. Um, okay. 
the tragedy that unfolded in the Oregon district last August um, occurred August 4th, 2019. It was just after 1 a.m. when the shooting occurred. So the bars and streets were were full of people. Uh, you know, it's a weekend. They come out to enjoy a Saturday night. It goes into Sunday morning. Before the shooting began, what was the scene like uh, in the Oregon district, in and around Ned Pepper's Bar, that might have compared to most Saturdays during the summer in the Oregon district for people who don't uh, either live in Ohio or, or live in Dayton or don't go down there and don't know what the area is like. What, what was it like that night? That night was great. I mean, it's great weather out. A lot of people are walking around the Oregon, stopping in the stores, going to the bars, eating, drinking, having fun, walking up and down the street, you know, yelling at their friends. Hey, let's go here. Let's go there. Just, it was a typical night. Nice night to be out and about, out in the streets. It's, it was a real busy night for everybody that night. Mm-hmm. What, by your estimation, would you say like there was any more or less people? Um, I, I would say for an adversary night, it was probably a little bit more. I mean, at one point in time, we we had over two hundred people in our club before all that even happened. Is that is that a lot for you guys? Or uh, on a Saturday, it's kind of a slow night. We usually two to three hundred sometimes more in there throughout the whole entire night that's a lot um when the shooting began how soon did you know what was happening was happening um the very first round that was shot from him i knew what it was i've been around guns for years so i knew exactly what the noise was just like when i was i was standing there next to police officers they were right there by us and they knew exactly what it was it's just unfortunately nobody knew where it was coming from mm-hmm. you heard the first shot then all of a sudden you saw this guy emerge out of nowhere just coming down the street just non-stop shooting uh in your in your time as a bouncer at other bars clubs have you ever trained specifically an active shooter scenarios like did you have a did you guys have like a response plan in, in place yes I, at nez we do have response we have a we have a go-to with getting all the doors shut trying to get everybody inside get everybody back towards the end of the club get everybody covered up get the doors locked and just wait for the police to respond to us what was going through your mind as people are scrambling to take cover they're rushing through the doors they're going through the streets to get to safety what, what were you like, what were you feeling? What were you thinking about? I was just, the first thing that came to my head was, you know, my friends and my family that I work with here at NEDS, I've got to protect them. Then I instantly thought I got to get people to safety because we would normally just shut doors and tell everybody to run. But that night I kept them open, yelling at people, get in, get in, get in. Because there were so many people on that street that night. It, made, it was Started yelling, grabbing people, throwing people in, pushing people back to stand. Got on my radio, told the guys I work with, um, we have an active shooter on the scene. Get everybody down, protect the bartenders, get everybody to, to the ground. Do not come outside. I was told them to lock the hole in the wall, doors, told them to lock it immediately. They got the doors locked, they got the patio doors locked up, the back door locked up. I kept my door open just so I can get people in because people were trying to run by me. And some of the people I saw running by me were, were getting hit by bullets. So mm-hmm. I kept it open to get people in. And at that 
point in time, I was told there's over 250 people in there before the police got involved. Wow. And then, you know, the shooter makes just like this mad dash right in your direction. Um, before the Dayton police were able to stop him, how close was he to you and to getting inside Ned Peppers? When he came around to the, the front door at Ned's, he was standing our first set of doors. I was standing probably maybe less than 10 feet away from him. I could see his eyes and he just came around that corner and for some reason he just paused for a split second. And when he did, that's when the Dayton police, you know, they did their job and they took him down quickly. Was your plan to like, if, if they somehow weren't there or didn't get him, was your, did you have like a plan? Did you want to just like meet him right no. there? My plan was was just to meet him at the door, slow him down, and try to protect as many people as I could. My, my own safety was the last thing I cared about that night. I had, I knew people inside the club have that they got families, they got kids, and that was my main concern was protecting all of them to get them home safe that night. When he came around that corner, my whole plan I had one plan in my mind was to jump out at him, but. When I saw the bullets flying, hitting the concrete, hitting him, he went down once on the ground. He was trying to find his way back up, and I went to go get him, and I just saw more bullets hitting him nonstop. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, like they, thankfully, Dayton police were able to you know prevent him from entering after uh, the shooter had been taken out. You know, the shooting had ended. What was the first thing you felt that you needed to do? The first thing that went through my head, what I needed to do was get that gun off of him. I didn't know if he was dead. I didn't know if he was, you know, alive. I didn't know there was a second active gun shooter, gunman going around. So my main concern was was to get the gun off of him because I knew if he didn't have that gun on him, I knew the police would be able to respond much faster up to him. As long as he's laying there with a gun in his hand or even beside him, they had to be very precautious because they don't know if he's alive or dead. Right. So I got the gun out of him. As soon as I took that gun away from him, they got to the door quickly. And then you see him rushing down the road. They were helping people, looking for another gunman. Because, no, like I said, no one knew. But once they established he was the only gunman, I mean, I saw people who didn't know anybody, guys from the other bars that were rushing outside, taking their shirts off, making tourniquets giving out CPR, doing everything we can to save people. And you got, uh, you got hit, right? Like you, how I long got, did it take you to notice that you were wounded? I didn't notice it until I walked away from the scene and we were supposed to go down to the end of the street for questioning the people that were involved. And there's a gentleman out in the street that night. He was in the military and he looked down my leg and saw I had blood on my leg. I said, I don't know what's wrong. I think I told him I, my leg was just on fire, but I thought it was just from what happened. And that's when they started putting me on a gurney. And that's when they realized I had shrapnel and stuff inside my leg. Oh. That's when they said, look, you've been shot. Probably like the uh, adrenaline and everything. Yeah. Imagine, it, right. Yeah. it's. I was pretty fired up.
uh, not long after that night, you know, after you're being released in the hospital, um, you did an interview for Good Morning America. And a week after the shooting, you went to an event at Blind Bob's, um, which for those of everyone listening that, that isn't from this area or doesn't know the Oregon district, um, you know, it's another, another restaurant there that's there in the Oregon district. Uh, and John Legend was there. How difficult was it for you to do these initial media appearances and, and public appearances after what had happened? Um, for me, it was hard because I didn't, at first I didn't want to talk about it. I just was kind of trying to suppress the memories and because the stuff I saw that night, I saw friends that I knew. I had a couple friends that passed away that night myself. I saw people who I knew got hurt by the gunmen. So I try to get it all in my head and, you know, forget about it. And, but it wasn't working out that way. So when I started talking, which was what I did wasn't really be the hero that was a cop. So I just did my job. But the thing about it is I want people to know this hate that we have going on. It needs to stop. Violence is not the answer. I mean, you don't have to do anything dramatic, nothing big. Just, you see a total stranger on the street, just walk up to him and say, hey, how you doing? How's your day going? You would be surprised how the smallest gesture can do for a person's attitude and how happy it can make a total stranger. It, can, it makes everyone feel great. Even myself. And then when I did the, the John Legend thing, uh, going in there, seeing um, a lot of the victims and the community in there, it was, that's when things really hit hard. That's when I realized what was, was going on. That's when it really hit hard. How much of your, of there was it for you, like saying kind of, you know, you said like, you know, it was difficult to do those sorts of things. Did you ever kind of like say like, you know what? I don't know if I really want to do this. I'm still healing. I'm still recovering. I just need some time and space right now. You could have easily yeah. said that, right? And just kind of. I could have said that, but the reason why I want to do the Good Morning America, I want it not just locally. I want it to be national. I want everyone to hear the story that dating community is strong. Dating strong wasn't just so we came up. They are went through tornadoes before all that even happened. I mean, this community we rallied around each other, and we still are. When it comes to the shooting, we. Still a great, strong community, and I couldn't turn away from it because I had a. I, that was my way of also make help myself heal. Mm. Talking about it and letting people know, hey, if I can come back down to Oregon, if I can come out in public again and not be scared, then you can do it too. As time went on, you know, you started getting recognized by a number of local organizations. You're honored by the Dayton Dragons. Um, you attended an event at the Antioch Shrine in Dayton. You're given that jacket uh, for, that said for the love of Dayton on the back and embroidered. You're honored by Rockstar Pro Wrestling uh, before a Dayton Flyers game, a basketball game, I believe. And you were honored by another huge organization that we'll get to in a minute uh, and many others. Um, were you at all uncomfortable with the amount of attention that you were receiving? Uh well- a little bit, yeah. I was because I'm not that person that needs that. I'm, I'm like I said, I keep to myself a lot, and you know, I'm not that person. 
I didn't, the reason why I think it was so hard, I didn't look at myself as a victim. I looked at somebody who's just working and did what I feel anyone else would do. I did something that I feel that anyone could have done and helped out. But as time goes on and you see what I, you know, what I was able to accomplish and help people and reaching out to the victims and having dinner with some of them and talking to them face to face. And it's a big blessing and it's changed who I am to this day. You said many times in a lot of other interviews um, that you don't consider yourself a hero for your actions that night, but there's a lot of people that, that have given you that hero label. Um, why don't you consider yourself a hero? Um, it's hard to say. It's just, I don't look at myself like a hero because I feel what I, what I did that night. It's, it's just who I am. I've always been that way. I will put myself in front of danger for anybody, for strangers, for friends, family. That's why I never looked at it like that. I feel like what I did is just, it's who I am. It's in my blood to help others, protect others. I just felt like the true heroes that night, and I still will say it, the Dayton police, because they're the ones that took him down. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here. I know I wouldn't be here. But, I mean, it's it's overwhelming to, to hear hero. It makes me feel good. It, you know, makes me cry. And I just never looked at it that way because I just felt like I was doing my job. Did you become like more accepting of that, that praise, the more no, more you heard? I, I mean, I accept it, but I'll still tell anybody who calls me, I'm not a hero. I'm not a hero. I'm just your average guy that, that, did, that did the best I could to help. We talked about uh, the fact that, you know, you, obviously you're big into wrestling, you're a performer. Uh, you continue to do that for many years and still to this day. In November of 2019, WWE honored you uh, during an NXT show and they crowned you crowned you an honorary NXT champion. What was that experience like for you as, as a pretty much a lifelong wrestling fan? It was amazing. I mean, I get to go there. I met everybody, got to talk to everybody, got to go to the performance center. And I'll tell you what, that performance center, if I could train there and It'd be amazing. It was an amazing experience. I had a great time doing it and meeting everybody and, you know, watching the show during, walk, sitting ringside watching the show, but beforehand get to talk to everybody. I mean, Tomasa, he went out of his way to talk to me and Shawn Michaels went way out of his way to talk to me. Same thing with Triple H. So it was just, it was like an awesome experience overall. Yeah, I mean, overall, it was an awesome experience, especially, you know, when I got called to the ring, a lot of people don't know this. They never told me that was happening. Oh, until right to, right as it happened? I was sitting backstage with Jeremy, Jeremy Bischoff and Shawn Michaels. I was just sitting there talking to them, and you see Triple H get in the ring, and he starts talking about him, like, what's going on, guys? And Shawn Michaels just looks at me, and goes, oh, by the way, you're going out there. Have fun. <laughs> Because oh. a lot of the wrestlers had no idea who I was either, which was great. Um, a lot of them didn't know why I was there. I, they just thought I was there to enjoy a show because that's what I told everybody. And then after that happened, that's when everyone realized why I was there. And a lot of tears were flying. I mean, I sat there and cried a little bit with both of them, Triple H, Sean. I mean, it was to have 
him take the microphone down after it was all said and done. And we had a few minute conversation in the ring with our foreheads touching, just talking, being called part of that family. That was a moment I'll never forget. Um, you know, we're talking about some of the stuff that uh, you're, you're going through, you're dealing with that tends to fall as kind of a, really like a secondary story to the, to the event that happened. And, you know, I guess understandably so, but still for you, you know, you've been suffering from depression, anxiety, PTSD. How are you progressing with uh, the treatment you, you've undergone? How's that, how's that going for you? It was going pretty good until this, you know, this coronavirus hit and doctor's office had to shut down. I've, you know, still working on it, still battling. I still have nightmares every night and still get shaken up at certain times. Certain noises freak me out. It's still a rough road for me. It's a long road ahead, but it's a challenge I'm accepting now. How, I mean, obviously what you saw that night and like, and the things you did, you'll never forget, you know, that's never going to leave you. But from, from like a few weeks after that until like, to now like how has that um progress gone in terms of being able to like function day to day and return to work and and just being jeremy like you know doing your normal stuff it's it's gotten a lot better at first when i was going back to work even at nez even at my day job when i was working in the factory i really couldn't work that much because noises bother me crowds bother me especially loud noises i couldn't do it and now I'm able to do stuff better. I mean, still loud noises get to me and violence. It took me a while to just be able to watch an action-packed movie. Mm-hmm. So I can do that a little bit. But even watching an action-packed movie, certain scenes I can't watch makes me think stuff. And sometimes I'll see stuff that you know, I know is not there, but just little flashbacks here and there with certain things. How – I mean, we, like I asked you, like um... – how difficult it was to do those, those initial interviews. How difficult is it to do, I don't know, like a show like this, not that I'm trying to ask you like super difficult questions or anything, but we're going to like all different facets of it. Is it, is it like cathartic, like helpful for you to do it? Talking Um, about it for me, talking about the situation is very helpful for me. I mean, I have a lot of guilt build build up inside of me to this day because I wasn't able to help everybody. Mm -hmm. Nine people that we lost at, that night to this day haunts me. I would trade my spot for any of them for just to have one of them be able to go home to their family. When the holidays come up, I'm not a holiday person anymore. I don't want to celebrate holidays. Only thing I always think about, there's nine people right there for their families. Why do I get to be there? So I'm not a big holiday fan anymore. I just, I learned that life you should enjoy the best you can, but you never know what's going to happen. So you need to cherish your loved ones as much as you can. But unfortunately for me, it's hard because like I said, I, I still carry around a lot of guilt and it hurts. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, before we get into the rapid fire questions, which are kind of the, I guess the most fun part of this show we've done. Well, maybe it'd be like second to the wrestling stuff. That's pretty cool too. Um, I want to say, Thank you. I wasn't there that night. You know, I was I was uh, at home and then I, I found out about it when I woke up the next morning. Uh, but I want to say thank you 
uh, just on my behalf and for others as well for what you did. Um, I can't imagine what you're going through. I appreciate you coming on here and doing this show as someone, you know, we don't know each other personally, like I said, um, you know, <laughs> more about each other now, of course, but uh, I, I just, I, I thank you for that. I thank you for coming on. I thank you for talking about this. It's, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that it's, it's helpful in that way. And I guess for me as, as kind of like a podcaster, as an interviewer, it, it's, it's difficult. Um, just cause I, you know, I like, I, I'm, I'm glad to like, it's difficult to hear it it's difficult to hear the detail, but I'm glad it's helpful at least in some ways. So I wanted to say thank you for that. I appreciate it. I mean, it's it's a great opportunity for me to talk and let people know how, you know, stuff that's going on also in the world is a way to tell people how they need to start treating people better because you never know what's going to happen the next day. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we'll finish up, like I said, with our rapid fire questions. They're, you know, I've I've said rapid fire before, like, oh, we got to answer them like this, that sort of thing. But if you need to think a second, don't worry about it. We'll start with this out of the following fictitious bars from movies and TV, which one would you most want to be a bouncer at and why? Okay. And we list five of them. You got the double deuce, the roadhouse, you got most tavern at Simpsons, the Moss Isley cantina from star Wars, the drunken clam and family guy and Bob's country bunker from the blues brothers. <laughs> Well, the very first one would obviously be The Roadhouse. I mean, that movie was amazing. And the way Patrick Swayze carries himself as a bouncer, I mean, he has people up in his face, and he's just so laid back, and he doesn't believe in using violence until you absolutely have no other choice. Be nice. That's the very first one. I mean, that's what he would tell people, be nice. And if you've ever seen the movie, what if my mom, somebody called my mom a name? Be nice. And that's the one of the biggest traits we tell our guys down nets, be nice all the time, no matter what. So that would be my number one choice. Number two, Star Wars. I mean, I love Star Wars. That'd be dangerous a little bit though, right? With like the yeah. force and lightsabers. I mean but man, you know. that bar that'd be amazing just to go visit that one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe like you're gonna I, I didn't know. Like I, I thought maybe you'd say, um, Moe's because it's just kind of a quiet scene. Oh, you, 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 you talk about Moe's watching that stuff. That's hilarious. Like you get, you get some prank phone calls, you get a good laugh, you know, there's a few yeah. guys in there, but really other than like the flaming Moe's episode, there wasn't a ton that happened, but like double deuce, you really got to be on your stuff, right? Because they built, there's a lot of people in there. There's, they got like that chicken wire fencing for the band. Cause there's throwing stuff and, there's a lot more action, but I didn't know if you like, did you want that? Did you, yeah, which I mean, kind of atmosphere it's, did you it's, want? It's people coming in and if you watch it, they start that double deuce bar that started off as a, just basically a very bad bar to go to. Then all of a sudden you see the, the turning of it and how it made people want to come out. It made that community want to go out and enjoy it, have a good time. No more bar fighting, no more yelling, screaming. And also because they did, they did say Dayton, Ohio in the movie too. Oh, that's true. Right. Better in that, that was at that dump in Dayton or something like that. That was yeah, the line. Better, this place is better than that dump in Dayton. So, I mean, it, it, they changed that whole bar around and the whole community around with that bar. So, that's always my number one choice. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Triple H and Stephanie, 
invite you back to WWE and they tell you that you will be headlining WrestleMania one-on-one <laughs> for the WWE Championship or the Universal Championship, whichever you'd, you'd like to go after, against an opponent of your choosing in a match stipulation of your choice, who would be then your dream WrestleMania opponent and what type of match would you wrestle him in? Man, my dream opponent. Uh, Eddie Guerrero. Ooh, ooh, good choice. Eddie Guerrero would definitely be that man because the way he carried himself, the way he performed, and when it comes to performing, I would want to do a steel cage match with him. Anything goes. That man could do anything and everything. He could tell a story so great. It just made you sit on the edge of your seat. Really underrated. Really underrated performer. So technically sound too. Like I think I thought he was always one of those guys for me that I didn't appreciate, unfortunately, until after he passed away and I like kind of go back more and watch his stuff. But he was like for people that don't know or don't remember maybe as much about like early two thousands, mid two thousands WWE, like he was one of the pillars on the SmackDown brand. And the SmackDown yes. brand was like that was like the technical, more technically sound um of the brand split between raw and smackdown raw was i think more the kind of the storyline i guess if you're like vince russo-ish kind of brand but smackdown they had like lesnar they had benoit they had edge they had uh mysterio they had guerrero they had chavo then they had all those guys and i'm like they had, they were loaded right and he just he shined bright he was great I mean, he was great in wcw but he was awesome there yeah, just thought. watching watching Eddie perform, like, you know, when he first came in there with, you know, Benoit, Perry Satter, and all those guys. I mean, I'm a huge Benoit fan. It always will be, but Eddie Guerrero is just, he's unbelievable. Mm, that's that's a great choice. I love that. It's just, I was thinking, like, I didn't know if it would be Triple H or someone like an even bigger name, like Stone Cold Steve Austin. But that's, I'm great you went a little bit uh, outside of the box there for people that might have thought it would be someone like a, a top-tier headliner or something. But Eddie... Even then, Eddie's still that. Eddie, Eddie's yeah. definitely a headliner. If you could special guest referee a match between any two wrestlers of your choosing, uh, who would you pick? And you and in this situation, I'm not going to allow you to pick Eddie Guerrero. Got to be two other guys. <laughs> well, believe it or not, I think one of the guys I would love to pick to be in the ring with, uh, call his match, Tomasa, Tomasa Champ. Okay. I mean, the way he, when I got to, to watch him wrestle, the, his attitude in the ring, him, I think watching a match between him and Seth Rollins would be awesome. Being in the ring against with those two guys or even, you know, even with Triple H in that match would be great because those three guys, they can tell amazing stories. And when I got to meet him in person, he just, the way he welcomed me and made me feel, it, he makes you want to be part of the story. He made me want to be, be there and talk to him, hang out with him. So, yeah, absolutely. Triple H, you mean? Triple H, yeah, he was amazing, very mm-hmm. much amazing. Every person that's, I met there, NXT was amazing. They all treated me like part of their family. That, that that's, I mean, and that's like, it's such a great choice of guys too, because they all they all bring like such a wide array of skill set to it in terms of their wrestling ability and their storytelling, and everything, and then just like you have the the body types too, like Triple H being a real big guy, and I mean Champa and. Uh, Rollins just tear the house down with whatever they can do, you know, which is oh, yeah. basically everything. So that match would just be incredible. It'd just be about containing. You can contain that massive humanity in there. Keep, keep it, you know, call it down the middle and be able to control chaos would be 
I mean, that that would be like really, you know, the the tough thing to, to see if that would happen. But uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun to watch. Um, oh, yeah. wh- what is one thing that most people do not know about you, but that you think that they should know about you? Well, honestly, there's not a whole lot of stuff that I don't really people don't know about me. But I think one of the biggest things that a lot of people don't know is I, believe it or not, went to college, got a college degree, got two of them. And I'm still pursuing my education career right now. So, yeah, it's one of the big things a lot of people don't know about me. What did you major in? I was a criminal justice major. I had a, ma- ma- a major in criminal justice with a minor in psychology. Okay. And now I'm taking classes to, uh, taking class to become a peer counselor. Awesome. That way, right. to me, it's my way to get help here. People that went through what I went through and just to be there for people. A peer counselor to me is the number one choice I would want to do. You know what, like, with just sidebar here, but what I think is interesting about all these different things, right? You played football and wrestled in high school. You you are uh, a pro wrestler, bouncer. You have this higher education. There's all kind of like these these parallels of interacting with people and, and wanting to better people's lives that I think is really interesting. Like, those things individually in a vacuum might seem kind of, well, that's kind of interesting, or maybe some people may term is you know weird or something but uh that's that's like the commonality i found with all that is that like that's kind of is that do you agree do you think that those are like the thing like the themes that kind of like weave everything together yeah for me it is yeah i mean i'm i'm really big on giving back to others i mean when i went to wwe and came back i had a chance to go to children's hospital to take the building there kid that just broke my heart and I got to see him and I still in contact with that young kid today him and his family so yeah making anyone smile and giving back to my community and helping others is something I'm very big on last question for you if you could time travel back to any period in the past where would you go (laughs) man I don't know never thought about that um I would probably go back to the good old Western days. Okay. You know, being in the Wild West, having a good time. I think that'd be different. But, no, I think my number one overall choice is just, I really don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. I kind of love life now. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. I think the, the biggest thing I would change is I can't think of anything. I've made a lot of good decisions, bad decisions in life, and I wouldn't change any of it. It's made who I am today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'd like to thank our guests uh, for episode five. Of the but sharing his thoughts, opening up, uh, talking about some difficult subjects. I, I appreciate it, man. I really do. I appreciate you having me. I mean, it meant a lot. Um, yeah, and, and again, I like to thank you personally. Thank you for what you did, um, your your willingness, your unselfishness, your desire to help others. Um, I, I wish you nothing but the best, you know, in your road to recovery. And I, I'm gonna, I gotta stop down there sometime. Stop down there at Ned's. Absolutely, good time. Good time. Yeah. yeah, come on down. And 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 uh, and see a show and see um, 
see her perform so i have to do that now right oh yeah i was supposed to have a show back up for rockstar actually it was going to be for h2 wrestling with matt tremont's company we we're supposed to do it back in may and we postponed it and once things get open he's come to dayton is there any like bring a weapon to the show matches do you ever have those oh i've done those yes and matt tremont's real big on those okay i gotta think of something good then the i don't i mean i have like no I was gonna say I have no kendo sticks laying around or anything, but that's that, that's common. That's you got that stuff under the ring. I gotta bring something different. I don't know. I like a I'm looking around in this room here, a computer monitor or maybe like a I've a seen Foreman a TV grill. brought in before. Oh wow! Well, I don't know if I have one to spare. <laughs> I have a printer. Maybe I could do that. An old printer doesn't work. Um, it got used. Yeah. <laughs> Well, where can people uh, follow you on social media? Are you active on any of your I'm channels? Just, I'm active just right now, just on Facebook right now. That's it. Okay. All right. Well, again, I appreciate you for coming on, and uh, we will see you next time on Let's Ask an Expert. <laughs>